sing, come on. Spirit, pain, flood into our thirsty hearts again. seated. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord for a stage covered in boxes. Uh, I pray that God continues to bless. And thank you, all of you, for your faithfulness in being able to give these boxes. Um, It's amazing that it's already this time of year. I don't know if you're like me, but it seems like it was just Easter. Uh, Then all of a sudden, Thanksgiving is this week. I don't know where the time went. The only thing that's been good is that it's no shave November, and so it gives me an excuse not to shave. Uh, So I think I'm going to pass that on to no shave December. And uh, wives, if your husband doesn't want to shave, it's for a good cause. It's laziness, okay? That's a good cause. Um, But no, that's what uh, Thanksgiving season is on us. And, uh, you know, if you're like me, uh, all of us probably have memories uh, of Thanksgiving past, of memories of uh, growing up and what Thanksgiving has meant to us. Always when it comes to this time of year for me, uh, I think back uh, to when I was a child, to when I was a kid. And Thanksgiving was always a special time to go to my grandmother's house, uh, my grandparents' house. It was about six hours away from where we lived. And so we would have to drive and uh, go and spend the night. And all the cousins lived away. And so aunts and uncles and cousins and everybody would come and gather at my grandmother's house. And uh, it was just a special time. Uh, you know, we'd, we'd all sleep on the floor or sleep in different rooms. And uh, I can always remember, and, and it's amazing that it always takes me back. Uh, there are certain smells that make me think of that Thanksgiving morning at my grandmother's house. You know, it, it's amazing to me how in times past, we may forget what somebody's face looks like that is a loved one that's passed. We may forget the sound of their voice even. Uh, we may forget conversations we had. But it's so incredible to me that you can smell something and it becomes so real in your mind of a time or a place in your past. Uh, for me, it's, it's this mixture of coffee brewing and bacon uh, cooking because everything we ate had bacon in it and so they would always cook bacon all night for the grease and uh, ham and homemade bread and and if I smell those things especially when it comes together I'm nine years old again uh, laying in one of my grandmother's big beds with a comforter around me I remember waking up and just that smell coming over me now I, I say nine because it all went sideways when I turned 10 because you see when I turned 10 I was supposed to move from the kitty table to the big table But that year, my aunt went and got married and invited her new husband to Thanksgiving, and it bumped me back to the kiddie table for four more years. Now, not that I'm bitter or anything, but when you're the oldest cousin, uh, you know, by six years, uh, and there's 15 of you, and, you know, you're 10, and they're four and under, the kiddie table is really the kiddie table. And, uh, you know... uh, Good memories, bad memories, we all have memories, right? You can't pick your uh, dysfunctional family. Uh, You know, not all of them are Norman Rockwell. Matter of fact, for us, uh, to be honest with you, there was always, you know, when you get uh, family members together, 
there always seems to be some tension. Uh, always seems to be some kind of stress, you know. And for us, it was always who gets what room, uh, who has to sleep on the floor, uh, you know, whose kids are nice, whose kids are not nice, whose kids are acting out. And, uh, there always was this tension that was underlying everything. And it seemed like by the time we ate Thanksgiving dinner, everybody was just kind of on edge, ready to go at each other. And I mean, that's not to say anything uh, when the Oilers played the Cowboys back in, uh, I'm from Texas. And so they used to show Oilers versus Cowboys on Thanksgiving. And uh, that would bring my cousins and aunts and uncles to blows almost. And so Thanksgiving turned from memories to just this horrible tension-filled time and uh you know some of you am i the only one that has those amen anybody else else relate can you relate amen i saw some of you when i was talking about you kind of tensed up your eyebrows kind of wrinkled just thinking about this week you know it uh I, i never understood my dad used to after we would eat my dad would always leave because he had a friend from college that lived in the same town or their his in laws lived in the same town and they would leave and go to the movies uh right after the meal and i always thought that is just strange you know how do you do you leave your family and friends and uh, then when I got about 15 I was like dad please take me you know right (laughs) And, and so I understand the tension I understand the stress and some of you this week all you're thinking about is these people coming in are you going somewhere and you traveling and the stress that's involved in that how do we survive Thanksgiving no better yet how do we not just survive how do we make Thanksgiving really an environment of thanks an environment of grace an environment of love instead of a place of stress well the good news for you and I this morning is John has an app specifically for that and it's incredible how timely it is in this new series that we've been going through the book of first John life-changing apps and talking about apps that John gives that we can apply to our life John has the perfect app For you and I to have a wonderful Thanksgiving, for you and I to have a peace-filled Thanksgiving, for you and I to have a Thanksgiving filled with grace and filled with mercy and filled with Thanksgiving. So what is that app? Well, it's real simple, and I put it in the title of my message. Uh, it's, It's right there. It's lettuce. Amen? Lettuce. Now, John's not suggesting that you chunk the turkey and uh, chunk the ham and become a vegan for Thanksgiving. Uh, It's a play on words. But John says if we would learn to serve a little more lettuce at Thanksgiving, we'd have a little better time. So let's read what he says. John chapter 4. You can read it on your blue sheet. I've given you some of it there. You'll be able to hear it right out of the bat. John chapter 4 verse 7. He says, Dear friends, he's talking to believers, to Christians, let us love one another. Did you hear it? Let us love one another. Did you get it? Let us, let us. Some of you are slow. I wanted to spell that out so you wouldn't think later. Let us love one another. For love comes from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. For everyone does not love does not know God because God is love. That, this is the first time we hear this. John, who, you know, he's coming back to his favorite topic, which is love. It's what his gospel is based on. It's the central theme of this. And all of a sudden he throws out this incredible description of who God is. Now, John's already declared twice here that God is light. Remember when he said that God is light back in chapter 1? And then in chapter 3, he says God is spirit. Now, here he comes and throws out this word, this, this terminology that's new to the believers. He says God is love. He didn't say God loves. 
There's a difference. He said God is love. God's very nature is love. God's very essence is love. And that's important for you and I to grasp because everything that flows out of that nature influences us. He's not done. He says this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. For this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Love demonstrated. He says, dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. For no one who has seen God loves each other, but lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. For we know that we live in him, and this is important, and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And he has seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. For if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, he's already told us this, God lives in him and he in us. He's, he's bringing it around to tie it all in with this love idea. So keep that in the back of your head. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. He says it again here. God is love. And whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this same way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because in this world, we are like him. How are we like him? Love. For there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. For the one who fears is not made of perfect love. For we love because he loved us first. And if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother as a liar. And anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. See, John is, is tying all of this in, this idea of love, this idea of loving one another, this idea of how we're supposed to love into the understanding of God's very nature. See, what he wants us to understand this morning is that, that God is not grace. God is not mercy. God is not forgiveness. Does he do those things? Yes. Why? Because he is love. See, what John is trying to help you and I understand is that everything that God does, all of his attributes, all of his characteristics are wrapped up and rooted in his nature, his very essence, which is love. You see, even God's punishment for sin, his punishment for the thing that he hates, it comes out of his love nature. He so loves that he can't stand that which steals and kills and destroys See, it's all wrapped up into the idea that God at his very essence, at his very core, is love. Now, if you can wrap your head around that, it has some incredible implications for you and I and some incredible implications for what he's trying to say to us about letting us love one another. You know, the Bible uses three words for love in the New Testament. And I'm sure you've heard people talk about it, and I think I've even taught on it before. Uh, the first one is eros, which is where we get the word erotic. Uh, it is not really used in the New Testament, but it's alluded to. It's described. And, and that eros is a physical love. It is a, uh, a love attracted to somebody physically. Now, usually when you say erotic or you see eros in the church, people kind of go, oh, well, that's kind of strange. No, this is, this is good stuff. You see, I think we've been so turned around and allowed the world to define what eros is to us and erotic is to us that we automatically think that it's bad. You know, eros, that love that comes from a physical attraction, is given to us by God. And so there are times when he talks about the physical attraction 
of love. And then there's the other word, phileo, which is where we get the word Philadelphia. It is brotherly love or a love that is companionship. Uh, This is the love that most of us have one towards another. It's a love that's based on mutual uh, love, mutual acceptance. I love you because you love me. You give me or do something for me, and then I will respond to that. It's a love that's uh, not a bad love, and none of these are bad loves, but it's not the ultimate love. It is a love that can be lost. Phileo is a love that is conditional. It's a love that is wrapped up into this idea of what's best for me. Then there's the third term for love. And it's amazing that in this one little chapter, John uses this term 27 times. See, a lot of people like to say that 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter, but really most theologians say the greatest teaching on love comes from this chapter in 1 John. Because 27 times, John uses the word agape or agapeo, which is a word that's only used to describe sacrificial love. It is a love that is more concerned that the object of that love feels and understands it than the lover gets love back in return. You see, it is used to describe the very nature of God, sacrificial, giving love. Matter of fact, in the Old Testament, the word that's used to describe God's love in Hebrew is chesed. And that word is always described as loving kindness, tender loving kindness. So you see what John is saying here now. I want you to hold all this. Keep in your back pocket because we're going to bring it back forward. I want you to hold on to this because I want you to see how this ties into Thanksgiving. You see what God is saying, or John is saying about God is that God is at his very nature agape. He is sacrificial love. And because he is sacrificial love, he now allows us, because of his love, which is now inside of us, to give agape to other people. You see, because he is agape, because he is love, we now can give this kind of selfless love to other people. You see, what we need at Thanksgiving is not more phileo. You see, we come to Thanksgiving, we come with our family members and we offer phileo, which is a brotherly love. What, what he is saying is the answer for the church, the answer for the problems that we're facing, the call of the church, the command of the church, because see, all this really goes back to what Jesus said. I give you a new command in John chapter 8, love one another. It all comes back to this idea that we were created and redeemed to love. Now, I want you to get what John is saying. And I I want you to get lost in this because it's going to sound like some different words. But if you can grab a hold of this, you'll begin to understand agape. You see, what John is arguing in this passage, it's really his catch. It's what he's trying to bring around is that you can't express agape. Won't you hear me? You can't give agape until you have experienced agape until you've really experienced the sacrificial love of God, you can't give it. But once you've experienced it, now hear me, once you've experienced it, you can't help but express it. Now, that's not my words, that's John's words. 
You see, God is love. And once you begin to experience that sacrificial love that has to come out of who God is, you can't help but to express it yourself. Now, here's where it gets, it gets deep. Here's where it gets cool to me, but it's deep to some, and I don't want to lose you in it. Once we begin to experience it, you can't help but express it. And once you begin to express it, this is what John is saying, you begin to really understand it. Okay, now I, I don't, you're looking at me like deer caught in a gate. Okay, listen to me. What he's trying to say is this. When you really begin to experience God's love, you will express it. Not choose to express it, think about expressing it. When you really experience his agape sacrificial love, it just becomes a part of you. And once you begin to express it, all of a sudden you really begin to understand it. You see what John says is you don't understand it until you give it away. That's what he says when he says, your love is made complete. People say, well, does God need us to complete anything? God doesn't need us. He is fully complete. What he's saying is God's love in us is not complete. It's not full. We don't fully grasp it. You see, we can sing about it and we can talk about it. We can read about it. We can write about it. We, we can hear and we can get goosebumps when we sing some of these songs. But God's love, this agape, this sacrificial love is never really completed in us until we in turn give it away to others. Because that is the very nature of agape. See, it's not agape until it's given. It's not agape until it is sacrificially offered to other people. And you and I struggle with that. We're willing to give phileo. We're willing to give eros. But when it comes to this sacrificial love, a love that says, if nothing is in it for me, I'm going to love. If you don't love me back, I'm going to love. Even if you hate me, I'm going to love. See, what John says is the answer for you and I is agape. How many of you have put up your Christmas tree already? Anybody? You make all of us look bad, okay? <laughs> Any of you putting your tree up this week? Some of you? Before Christmas, anybody? Okay. You like me? You keep telling my kids, we'll go, we'll get it up, we'll get it up. Um, you know, I love putting the Christmas tree up. I love looking at the Christmas tree. I love all the things that go with the Christmas tree. I hate putting the lights on the Christmas tree. Amen? Amen. I, my wife and I fight, okay? I, praise the Lord. I threw my back out last night. She wants to get the tree. Uh, I already reminded her when I was coming to church this morning, I don't know if I can put lights on the tree with my back being out, okay? Uh, because when I grew up, and even up until recently, when you would get the lights out, you know, they were always in that big ball. Even when you, you know, I don't understand, even when you wind them up and do everything nice for them, when you pull them out, they're in this big ball and there's knots, and so you're pulling the knots out, and then you get them on the tree, or if you're like me, you test them before you put them on the tree. And the old light, if one light was out the whole thing was out and so you would have to test every light you'd pull those little things out and you'd look at the prongs you'd hold it up and then you'd stick it back in you'd test the next light what I never understood I used to argue all the time with friends of mine that are electricians is why can't it just light up to the one that's out and then it gets dark because then you know which one to change now, you see, now they've changed the currents in it, so it doesn't do that anymore. But an electrician explained to me, he said, listen, the reason it does that is because the way those lights light up is the current goes into it, up into the light, lights it, comes back out, goes to the light next to it, and then it comes back to that light. And if anywhere in that current, it is not lit up. You see, it's coming and going and lighting and then going back. Anywhere in there, if it doesn't come back to the light, the light won't light up. 
Now, do you see where I'm going with this? See, what John is saying is God's love is going into us, but if it's not going out of us, we really won't understand and experience all that he's given us. You see, agape by its very nature has to be given, has to be expressed, has to be sacrificial. See, John's trying to help us to understand that when we love others, we'll really understand how much God loves us. You see, now here, let me, let me just put it another way before I finish. What God says, John says, is God is love. He's agape. And he loves you, not because you've done anything. He loves you not because you're pretty good. He loves you not because you're at church. He loves you not because you offer something to him or or maybe somewhere down the road you're going to be pretty good and so he loves you. No, he loves you because it's who he is. Now just rest in that a minute. His love for you is not based on anything you do. Isaiah says, the best I have to offer, my righteousness is as filthy rags. God loves me because that's who he is. And because it's who he is, it drives him to show you how much he loves you. And John says he showed us how much he loved us by the greatest sacrifice he could offer, his son. As an atonement, as payment for our price of sin. And what John is wanting us to understand is that we will never fully appreciate that love till we learn to give it to somebody else. Why did God send Jesus to die on the cross? Because it's who he is. Because he is agape. And love without being shown is not agape. That's where John's getting us to. You see, he calls us to agape. Do you remember when Jesus was resurrected and he said, where is Peter? And he found Peter. He'd left the other disciples and he was out around the lake and Jesus went to him and Peter was so ashamed because he denied Jesus three times. And Jesus went to Peter, and do you remember what he asked him? He said, Peter, do you love me? See, unfortunately, our translations don't give us the different words. He said, Peter, do you agape? Peter said, oh, Father, Jesus, I'm so sorry. I phileo you. Jesus said, no, John, I mean, no, Peter, you didn't hear me. Do you agape me? Are you willing to love me in return the way I love you? Peter says, oh, yes, I'll follow you anywhere. I phileo you. I I love you with a brotherly love. I love you with the love of this world. And Jesus said, no, you're not listening to me, Peter. Do you agape? Peter says, I love you sacrificially. What does Jesus say to him? Feed my sheep, which means what? Go love. You see, that's the picture he's trying to paint. John says, how do you know you're a believer? Because agape is pouring out of you. Now, here's here's something I want you to catch. Changes everything that we say. Changes the way that we say them. You see, if that's true, if 
what John says, you have a new nature. You have God's nature living inside of you. And God's nature is love, so you know how love living inside of you. It is not that you have to choose to love someone. When you don't love someone, it is because you chose not to. Because you see, love is what comes out of you. You see, it's not that we have to make ourselves love somebody. Some of us say, well, I'll try, Pastor. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll try to love that person, that, you know, that guy that's mad at me or that cousin or that person in the church that hacked me off. I'll try to love them. No, it's not about choosing to try to love them. Your nature wants to love them because it is agape. What you have done is you have made a conscious choice not to love them. Did you see that? See, John says, just like Jesus' love and God's love has to be poured out, it is the same for you. Love is crying out to be given. The agape inside of you, that God nature inside of you, is crying out to love those around you. But what we do is we put the brakes on it, and we stop it, and we quench the spirit. So it's not about us choosing to love somebody. It's about us letting go of ourselves so who God is in us can love. Is that not so cool? Is that not so freeing to understand that you and I struggle with this? Now, why don't we, why don't we just love then? If God's agape is in us and, and we're called to love, why don't we go to Thanksgiving this Thursday and just all of a sudden show a sacrificial love? Because, because John identifies it. What did he say? Over here in verse 18, listen. For there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. See, the greatest thing that keeps us from loving, the greatest thing that puts the brakes on the love that God's given us is we're afraid. We're afraid to love. So we put the brakes on. Why are we afraid? We're afraid we'll be rejected. See, we're afraid to give love to somebody because we're afraid how they'll respond. We're afraid what someone else may say. We're afraid what somebody else might do towards us. Some of us are afraid to love because we've been hurt before. Remember when my mother passed away? Hurt so much. I mean, a hurt that you can't describe until you've lost a loved one like that. A lot of you in here know. I remember sitting in my room and thinking, I'm never going to love somebody like that again. Because it hurts too much. You see, some of us have been hurt like that, and because of that, we we put the brakes on giving ourselves freely. We put the brakes on showing a sacrificial love that is inside of us and is a part of our nature. C.S. Lewis said this, to love is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung, and it may even be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around the hobbies that you have and the luxuries of this world, all the little entanglements. Lock it up safe in your selfishness. But in that safe, dark, motionless, airless place, it'll change. It won't be broken. It'll become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. You see, to love and to live is to open yourself to be vulnerable. See, for some of you this morning, it's fear that's holding you back. You're afraid. You're afraid to open your heart. You're afraid to love. How can you overcome that fear? Well, John tells us. He says, perfect love drives out fear. What is perfect love? It is embracing God's love for you. 
What does that mean practically? That means just sit down and let God love on you. Let the love of God wash over you. Dwell on it. Read about it. Sing about it. And as God's love overwhelms you, this sacrificial, self-giving love pours over you, you'll find yourself coming to the brim to where you can help loving others. One of the early church fathers, a man by the name of Jerome, tells the story of John right before he died. He was in Ephesus. He'd already come back from being exiled. He's about to die. And they said he was so old, they used to have to carry him around on a pallet to the different churches that were meeting, to the different meeting places. And he didn't have enough strength to really say anything, but they just wanted to be in John's presence, the only living apostle. And they would carry him, Jerome says, and he would sit up. And the only thing he had the strength to say whenever that he would speak would be, Agapomen Aelios. Agapomen Aelios, which in Greek means, let us love one another. Every time. Finally, one of his disciples put him aside and said, Master, you, you, you tell us the same message every time. Why is that the only thing that you say? He says, because of all the things Jesus commanded, that's the most important. And if we can grab that, it's enough. You see, what I'm telling you this holiday season, let us love one another. That crazy in-law that makes you so mad, let us love. That relative that gets on your last nerve, let us love. Guy that's going to cut in front of you when you're going to the mall on Friday to get that special gift, let us love. Not because we choose to, but because it's who we are. John says the answer, the app, is agape. And the good news is, it's inside of you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love. We thank you that, Father, you bless us with your nature, and your nature is sacrificial love. God, we ask this morning as we close that, Father, it wouldn't be about us making an effort it would be about us overflowing father so many of us don't love because we're afraid so many of us don't love because we put the brakes on it or we shut it out god that's not who we are father this holiday season i pray that some christ followers would overflow with agape and it would change their family it would change their gathering in your name amen